Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events behind the scenes footage and so much more plus you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon it's in you please be in it visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now that's podcast with an s thanks from kqed From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, were you a goth kid? Or would you recognize goth's hallmarks? Black clothing, thick black eyeliner, teased hair, listening to bands like Susie and the Banshees, Bauhaus, or of course, The Cure, as I did. Lowell Tolhurst, drummer for The Cure, who founded the band with Robert Smith, has written a book called Goth, A History, about how the subculture has often been misunderstood. But for those who understand its search for beauty in the dark and melancholy of life, its counterculture impulses, goth is just as relevant today as it was when it began to take hold 40 years ago. A journey through the sounds of goth with the co-founder of The Cure, next on Forum. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. You're listening to the song Play For Today by The Cure, and we're joined this hour by former drummer, keyboardist, and co-founder of the band, Lol Tolhurst. The Cure is best known for 80s hits like Boys Don't Cry, Pictures of You, and Just Like Heaven. But to trace the band from its early years is also to trace the emergence of goth, whose adherents may best be known for their black clothes and makeup, but goth was and is much more than that, says Tolhurst, who describes it as at once an aesthetic, a sound that the cure is often credited with, and a mindset. Were you a goth kid or are you a goth elder now? What has the community meant to you? What has the cure and their music meant to you? You can tell us by calling 866-733-6786, by emailing us forum at kqed.org or finding us on our social channels at KQED Forum. Lal Tolhurst joins me now. His new book is called Goth, A History. Lal, welcome to Forum. Uh, good morning. <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> little little frog in my throat. It's a little early, <laughs> little early for a self-respecting goth. You know. um, yeah. well, um, well, as a fan, it really is great to meet you. And I was curious in terms of this book, Goth, why you wanted to explain goth and its history and whether it was in part... Because you do feel like goth has been misunderstood a lot. Yeah, I mean that's that's part of it. It's definitely been misunderstood, and I hope you know I explain why in in the book. Um, mostly, I mean the impetus for it, the initial uh, thought was because for my previous book, Cured, I I went on uh, a worldwide tour. I went all over South America. I went all over North America. I went to Europe. I, I went a lot of places and. 
uh, one of the things that people would ask me, you know, because I do a lot of events where where I I read something from the book and then I talk about the making of the book and then we'd have a Q and A, and a lot of the times the questions that came up were related to what was it like living, you know, in the eighties because no nobody had an iPhone, so there's not that many millions of pictures about it and. Uh, you know, they wanted they wanted the real kind of experience. So that was really the the initial driving thing. I wanted to explain that to people because there there's not that many records. And even if you think there are records of it, I mean, you know, there's pictures of people in the Batcave. They're not really that. They don't really tell all of the truth because, like the Batcave, for instance, there were yeah, there were a lot of people that looked like what we would think of as as modern goths, but. There was also a lot of people that looked just like really normal, you know, and and they didn't get photographed, you know. So uh, I wanted to kind of explain uh, really that it's it's more than just uh, a fashion, you know. Yeah. So the calling cards of goth that we're familiar with, things like the spiky black hair and the heavy makeup and the dark clothing. Right. You know, you feel like that that was something that was just sort of singled out for its unusual nature, as opposed to really understanding what it was so much more broadly and shared across many people who didn't necessarily dress like that. <laughs> right, yeah. As as my, my friend Kathy Answorth says, you know, in, in a way, uh, you know, the media, and I'm not pointing fingers at anybody particularly, but in general, you know, they would kind of try to defang the idea of goth, you know, by, by saying, well, it's about bats and coffins and, you know, and that, that misses the point. Like, they, they miss the point with, with punk, you know, they would think punk was just about, like, you know, spiky hairdos and angry lyrics, and that's part of it, but it's not the whole whole story, you know? Yeah, well, what was your aesthetic? Did you have a goth aesthetic? <laughs> um, you know, let me put it this way. My wardrobe for the last 40 years is is pretty monochromatic. I don't, I, you know, I'll go, I'll try and buy a different colored shirt now and again, but it doesn't work and it doesn't last for long. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, that that's making it a little flippant, but it's it's not meant to be. I think the, the, the goth ascetic, if you like, really is is non-conformist, melancholy non-conformist, really, more than anything else, you know? And that's why maybe some of that uh, look seemed to fit it well. Mm. So you say that there are three albums that really constitute The Cure's gothic resume, 17 mm. Seconds, Faith, and por Pornography. So can you yeah. describe those and why you say that they form The Cure's gothic resume? Well, I suppose, really, and and I heard your your advert for the show beforehand, and you you play my favourite song off of uh, pornography. You played oh, cold, yay. anyway. Um, <clears throat> but no, I mean, I think I have to go back to the beginning. At the beginning, you know, we were very young when we started, and uh, our first album, we we really what we did for our first album, Three Imaginary Boys, was was just record our live set you know we just walked in the studio and played what we've been playing for the last couple of years and um we also didn't have much knowledge of what we could do in the studio and how we could use the studio and who we were uh, uh, as people you know we there's some clues on the first album like the actual title track three imaginary boys and uh and there's another one, another day they sort of lean a little sort of into more mystery but that was really where we wanted to go and then for the second album you know there's there's an old saying in 
in the music business, you know, you have your whole life to make your first album and six months to make your second, you know, and and it's kind of kind of true, you know, for the first five years, which encompasses all those four albums, uh, we were either in the studio or on the road. We didn't have a break. We were we were going very hard, and um, the first album of that 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 trilogy, uh, seventeen seconds, was the first time. Uh, we'd had an opportunity to work in the studio, you know, to be completely, <coughs> completely autonomous, and uh, you know that's credit in in part to um, our manager Chris Parry, who <coughs> said, you know, okay, it's time to record another album, and we're like, okay, we would like to, and we've got some ideas, but but we'd like to do it ourselves. We don't want anybody else, you know, sort of steering the ship for us. And uh, he went, okay. And we, you know, his office was in the same uh, building complex as the studio. So, you know, it must have taken a lot of, lot of uh, strength for him not to, you know, put his head around the door all the time and see what we were doing. But, you know, he'd come in about once a week and, and sort of go, yeah, okay, it sounds interesting. So we were allowed to sort of develop uh, for 17 seconds on our own. And I remember it as quite a, you know, the fact that it's kind of a, a little doomy, it was very joyous because we were discovering ourselves as, as artists and being able to do things the way that we wanted. And working with Mike Hedges, uh, the guy who engineered it with us and helped us produce it, he was he was young as well, I realised. You know, at the time he seemed much older than us, but he was probably only a couple of years older. And, um, you know, he discovered a lot of new techniques that people weren't using and so we could talk to him about that and uh, it made the whole process very very joyous and I, I was talking to somebody the other day about this uh, a lot of times when when bands and musicians have a little success they they go into the studio and they go okay well that first record or whatever was successful so we're going to repeat the formula and and they become sort of locked into their their roles and the cure was never like that you know the first time we got into record for 17 seconds we we sort of said okay let's just swap all our instruments around you know like huh. don't say you know i'm the guitarist you're the drummer you know you do this and i do that um we swapped our instruments around and we recorded some of it and then we decided well, it probably wasn't such a great idea because we were better at our own instruments um some little bits of it survived on on 17 seconds i'm not going to tell anybody where they are but um you know it's kind of interesting to me to think that we were actually uh, still thinking about being free and being be, being non-conformist. So that's that's the first clue where you come in. Do you think about goth? Because we weren't a punk band. We weren't a rock band. We were, if anything, we were sort of psychedelic punk. But we weren't really anything at that point. And that used to kind of upset Robert when people would ask him, "Well, what do you call your music?" And we'd say, "Well, you know, it's Cure music." We didn't really have <laughs> we didn't really have a title for it at that time. We didn't go, "Oh, it's Goth," you know, that wasn't it. Right. Uh, so when Faith came around, there there was a lot of uh, a lot of circumstances that made that a bit more poignant. You know, my, Robert's grandmother was passing away. My mother was just about to pass away, and you know, we'd both been well. Me and Robert and Michael Dempsey, but he wasn't there by that time, had been brought up Catholic. You know, we went to Catholic school. And so there was a lot of, uh, for us, there was, a, you know, a, a lot of feeling from those particular uh, parts of our life, you know, and they were becoming, they were coming to a point at that, at that time. So uh, huh. that sort of fed into what is 
faith, and, and I go into a lot of detail about that in the book. Yeah, and, I see. Oh. So you're saying that it was born out of a desire, your music, to be free, nonconformist, but also it sounds like what you were going through personally and emotionally. And you also talk about what the state of Britain was at that time, also contributing yeah. to it. If you just want to say a few words about that time. Yeah, yeah. You know, the the, the thing is, I, I'm a great believer nowadays uh, that, um, you know, art, good art, good whatever, good music is, is born out of a lot of times of extreme situations. And, at, you know, the tail end of the 70s, uh, we were living in an extreme situation. I mean, it was uh, England was kind of, uh, you know, there was there was Margaret Thatcher, and there was a lot of strikes and things going on, and, and prospects for everything were pretty dismal. And uh, you know, I can remember as as a as a young young guy going up to the the post office with my mother every week to see what the schedule was when they were going to turn the electricity off in our town because you know they had to get the army in to run the power stations and things because there was a lot of you know, unrest. And so you know, when we were sort of at that point where we were leaving school, uh, you know, there wasn't much for us to look forward to. So we decided to make our own future a bit more. And I think that's always the case a lot of times. You know, when, when life is going along fine and the world's great and that, you don't really have much to write about, you know, unless you're going to write Moon in June. And that was never, never us. And so, you know, by and large, the, the Cure's work has always been a diary you know, especially at the beginning, a diary of our lives and what we were going through. We wrote about what we saw, we wrote about what we felt, and that was the important thing to us. Um, yeah, well, yeah. we're actually going to go into a break hearing a clip from A Strange Day, and I love the description that you just gave of The Cure as a diary and what what mm -hmm. you were going through. I feel like this song captures some of the darkness that you were experiencing, and we will have more with Lal Tolhurst co-founder and drummer for The Cure, and more about goth with him and with you, our listeners. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. People are strange when you're a stranger Faces look ugly when you're alone Women seem wicked 
When you're unwanted, streets are uneven. When you're down, when you're strained, faces come out of the rain. When you're strange, that's People Are Strange by The Doors. Walt Holhurst says The Doors influenced him and influenced goth. Holhurst is co-founder of The Cure and was the band's drummer and keyboard player. And he's written a new book called goth a history and you our listeners are joining the conversation with your questions or comments for lol were you or are you goth were you a goth kid are you a goth elder now what has the goth community or subculture meant to you how do you define it what has the cure in their music meant to you what do you want to ask or tell lol tolhurst 866-733-6786 is the number you can also find us on discord twitter facebook instagram at kqed forum you can email forum at kqed.org this listener on Discord writes, is my chemical romance goth, emo, pop punk? I'm realizing that I'm not sure. And I'm actually really excited to hear Lal's definition of the genre. <laughs> so we've established a little bit the, the freedom part of it, the you know, nonconformity, the yeah. sort of resistance to convention part of yeah. it, and also the way that it sort of encapsulated the darkness, pain, a sense of a dismal future. Why were the doors, in your view, mm. sort of a, a goth influence then? Um, you know, a lot, a lot of doors stuff is very, uh, you know, poetic and dark. And and so it's really that much. And and also, you know, without being too facetious, it's leather pants. Um, you know, there's there's all kinds of things about it. I mean, it's interesting to me because I, I have lived in, in California for the longest period I've lived anywhere my whole life. I've lived here for 30 years. And probably a couple of miles from where I live, um, there's a wall with poetry on. And it's uh, Jim Morrison's poetry. And, and, and it's kind of ironic that it surrounds, you know, the the most establishment type of place. It surrounds the police station on Venice Beach. Um, you know, and, and there's there's a place, there, there's a, a pub just a little way along the way, uh, the King's Head English pub, and that's where the Doors first played. And so to me, it it's very much, uh, it, you know, it's imbued in the places that I, I live and where I've lived, and it's very close to me. I can see the connections because... People always like to think that that stuff like you know, for instance, a lot of a lot of people would say, "Well, I don't know really if I think the Cure or Goth or whatever." And I I think, well, you know, the, the miss is the point. The point is that that we were like the fertile ground where a lot of that stuff came from, and we had been seeded by things that came before. You know, w one of the things I like to point out to people is 1977, which was like a pivotal year for music in the UK and and here in the States, um, two records came out that for me and The Cure changed everything. I know, uh, the, the Clash's first album, mm. and also David Bowie's Low. That came out in 1977. So they're, they're two different tones of, of nonconformity. And, you know, at the time we were listening to a lot of uh, different kinds of music like Can and, and Cluster, like the German bands. And then punk came and showed us that we could do something because, you know, up until that point, uh, 70s, it was like prog rock and disco, you know, which are fine, but, you know, we were never going to do either of those. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, that's that was the, the, the catalyst. Yeah. There. Well, I'll really quick talk about how... Um goth or your music is is influenced by punk but also how it's not punk right 
Yeah. Well, you know, here's the thing. Back in the, the, the 70s, a lot of rock music, you know, the lyrics were very sort of misogynistic and and uh, very, very on the outside. They were about externalizing things. Everything was on the outside. Uh, and punk came along and was just sort of like, you know, a bit more nihilistic and a bit more angry. But there were also people in there like uh, polystyrene, uh, you know, with X-ray specs who, who were, you know, bringing in different different moods. You know, it wasn't really, she wasn't really like a, a typical uh, woman musician of the time, you know. So she brought things in that were different uh, as long with, you know, people like Susie. And uh, so I think also what happened that, that we were allowed to write about things that were internal, like our, our, our mm. feelings and our emotions, and express those. And that was really a big leap for, for especially for male singers, you know, because it wasn't, it wasn't viewed in that way. So we we were able to do things that were more uh, akin yeah. to to that, you know. And that was yeah. that was. That was what we wanted to do. I loved your description. I'm sort of paraphrasing, but that, <laughs> you know, you, goth music inherited sort of the anarchy and nihilism of punk, but substituted the nihilism somewhat with a desire to fully talk about and confess your emotions, yeah. um, which I, I can really hear. Well, Rebecca writes related to The Doors, the band The Doors does not typically conjure up images of gothic rock, but after learning that the term was coined in 1967 by a music critic who had met with Jim Morrison in a dimly lit wine cellar, to me, The Doors song, The Crystal Ship Nails the Goth Ambiance. Here's a verse sample. The days are bright and filled with pain. Enclose me in your gentle rain. The time you ran was too insane. We'll meet again. We'll meet again. And Tristat on Discord writes, There are plenty of us old goths who started as teens in the 80s when The Cure first became well-known, and we're still around, listening to goth music, wearing black, reading gothic literature, perhaps working in tech and going out to local clubs like SF's Death Guild, the oldest continuously running goth and industrial club night in the U.S., and newer wow. events like the pop-up art sale called Menagerie Oddities Market. <laughs> You know, wow. you you wrote about um, how in 1981 you came to play in California and what that experience was like. And, you yeah. know, one of the things that was so notable about it was that, you know, people have this idea of California as this sort of happy golden state. But you mm. said that it was in California, that California got goth. Why yeah. did California get goth to you? Uh, you know, it, it, it's the thing about. I think it, it's always on on the, the cutting edge of of uh, contemporary thought. You know, in lots of ways, uh, California is. That's that's why I live here. That's why I came here to live because I appreciated that. I mean, we arrived in in California, and, and admittedly, you know, Lydia Lunch was not from here, but she was there in California when we got there, when most everybody else that was walking around were wearing pastels and had, you know, very blonde and tanned. Um, it, there was this person we met the first time we got here who was looked pretty goth, you know, as you would know it. And uh, so there was this whole underground thing going on, you know, and, and it was, it was, you know, very, very interesting to us. So, you know, we, we felt at home. Yeah. Well, Rick writes, so glad that you're meeting with the drummer from the band The Cure this morning. Even though they are not part of my generation, Gen X, my favorite song of theirs is called Love Song. Oh, really? Not part of Gen X? Years later, in the early 2000s, Marcus Moon did a reggae version of Love Song, but nothing is ever as good as the original. You, Goth has influences from reggae, right? It was influenced yeah. by reggae and dub, too? 
Yeah, um, mostly that for me. I mean, I, I look to like, you know, I have a friend in the, in the Bauhaus, uh, Kevin Haskins, you know, and I asked him about that. And, you know, most of it is the fact that like when, when punk was starting, there was a great alliance between the punks and reggae. I mean, you know, you have to remember there was, uh, I think there was, I think it was Bob Marley made a song called Punk A Reggae Party, you know, which was so, so it aligned the two things because we felt, you know, especially in London, uh, there, there was a great connection there. And so, you know, and you have to remember, like I write in the, the book, the, the first time I realized that things were changing was I went to the uh, Notting Hill Carnival, which was like, you know, a big celebration of reggae and all kinds of things, you know, uh, along that style. Uh, but, you know, the punks felt a great allegiance together. And so that's that's where the, the you know that yeah. kind of music in, influence comes. Yeah. Well, I want to play a little bit of Bauhaus. I want to play Bella Lugosi's Dead. So let's hear a little oh. bit now, and then I want to talk with you about it. White on white, translucent black capes, back on the rack. Bella Lugos is dead, the bats have left the bell tower, the victims have been bled, that velvet lines, the black box. Bella Lugos is dead. And we're listening to Bella Lugosi's Dead by Bauhaus. And we'll talk about the importance of that song to you and to goth. It's been considered by many to be the first sort of quote unquote goth release. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting in lots of ways. I mean, I, I, you know, the Cure's manager, Chris Parry, had a, had a label fiction. And, uh, you know, Bauhaus, you know, were closely sort of, they, they followed the Cure and they followed what, what we were, you know, about. And so they sent their first, you know, record to, to Chris because they were, you know, they liked the Cure. So they thought, well, maybe he'd be interested in releasing it. And he actually, you know, he really liked it, but he said, yeah, you know what, boys? It's too long. It's nine minutes long or something. You know, it was like it was like too long. So, but in a strange sort of uh, you know twist of fate, they ended up going with Small Wonder, which is where we put out our first record on. So uh, there's there's all that connection. And like I say now, you know, I, I I know Kevin. I know I know all the drummers. All drummers are friends. You know, <laughs> it's like being part of the Freemasons. Um, you know, so. I, I think really they came from a similar kind of place. They came from Northampton, which is a sort of you know, dark and dismal. And that's the other thing that, that inspired a lot of the music. You know, a few years ago, I was uh, looking, you know, when, when things like Google Earth first came out, you know, and I was sort of wandering around where where I grew up and have a look. And I, I, I was amazed, you know, it was like it, everything that we wrote about, every, the style of everything was there right in the streets of, of where we where we were where we lived and so you know i called robert up and said you know you better have a look at this because it's all there in the dank dark english countryside you know same thing for the Bauhaus. yeah um well this listener writes i don't think i ever considered myself goth but i'm a huge cure fan and Susie and Bauhaus. but i wonder what the cure thought as they looked out on the crowd all dressed and made up alike as they played jumping someone else's train Well, yeah. I mean, you know, jumping someone else's train was specifically about not being on a particular bandwagon, but that doesn't mean you can't, you know, 
like things. Uh, I think you know we were we were like I always say to people I'm humbled and flattered at the same time if I see people that sort of you know follow the 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 style and the look and and stuff. So uh, you know that's always going to happen. That's just that's a way of you know putting your badge on and saying you know I I agree with this you know which is you know something that we were very uh, happy that happened. You know definitely I was. Yeah, we're talking with Tolhurst, drummer of the band The Cure, co-founder of the band as well with Robert Smith. We're talking, of course, about goth, which The Cure is credited with as being both a spreader, a progenitor, so many things related to goth, while at the same time it almost tried to eschew the title as well, which in many ways feels so goth. You are joining the conversation at 866-733-6786. You are also leaving emails at forum at kqed.org and posting on our social channels at KQED Forum. You've described goth as a mindset, and there are some really beautiful descriptions that you have in your book. I just want to read a couple of them in particular. You write, how to liberate your soul and have a happy, sad time doing it. It's been about not following the crowd and not following the forces of repression and normality to drag us down to ordinariness. It's about escaping all that and also, more importantly, about finding out who we are. You've also talked about it as finding beauty in the melancholy and in the dark. And so I'm wondering what you think makes goth, you know, so relevant to today? Like, why do you feel like that sort of perspective and way of being, that mindset, is useful mm. for the things that we are going through today? Well, you know, we, you know, it's pretty much a time like the end of the 70s, you know, the, the, the rise of authoritarianism, maybe even fascism coming along. Um, the world is in turmoil. I mean, you know, you can see that every day. Uh, I think what happened for us was we were able to consider something. We were able to consider how how we felt, but we were also able to see the the beauty in in things that were going on and the art of stuff. And that gives you a, a sense of community because goth is really like a community. You know, there's people who have a similar worldview, and that makes you feel. Uh, I don't know. It's not a safe place to be, particularly, but it, but it's, but it's a good. Well, no, yes, it is a safe place to be. It's very, it's very, uh, you know, in that way, it it helps people through things. So the thing that used to upset me a bit at the beginning was people would say, "Oh, well, you play this really, you know, dark and depressing music, yes. and people who are listening to it, they must feel dark and depressed, and maybe that causes, you know, some more bad things to happen." And I say, no, you're wrong. It's exactly the opposite. Because people identify with with things and the emotions that are written about in the songs, that helps them through stuff. And and I always had, a, you know, letters or talk to people at least once every time that I, I went on my tour with Cured and, and talked to people, at least one person came up to me every time and said, you know, that helped me get through a particularly bad patch in my life so you know thank you and i'm grateful for it and that that to me is is the biggest reward of the whole thing because ultimately it's about helping you know everybody and helping everything and i mean that's the point that people miss that it's not just you know the clothes and it's not about bats or coffins it's about a way to live a way to be and and that's really why it stayed so long and that's why it's having a resurgence now as well because it fits the times. 
Well, the Zisner writes, I spent my 20s going to goth clubs all over the U.S. and met my spouse at Death Guild in San Francisco in my late 20s. We had the cliched Halloween wedding a few years later. We're in our late 40s now and are still goth, even though we don't make it out to clubs much. I'm also an agender non-binary person and have often referred to my gender as goth because the way goth people express gender is the most comfortable I've ever felt with it. It's very androgynous and flexible. Have you heard that before? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I did uh, I did uh, an event uh, a couple of weeks ago for the new book up in San Francisco, yeah. and uh, I heard a lot of things along those lines. And, you know, the, the thing about goth is it was always inclusive. You know, it doesn't say you have to be a particular way. Everybody was welcome. And so that made it very a very safe place to be for a lot of people that maybe didn't feel safe otherwise. So we've talked about sort of the sound of goth, the aesthetic of the goth, but do you want to say mm. a little bit about where else you see it, like in cinema, television, mm. or even in books? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny because uh, I, just, I just wrote a quote for another book that's coming out, The Art of Gothic Living, uh, and there's uh, pictures of all the houses and places around the world that are, are very gothic. It's it's kind of everywhere. I see it everywhere. I see it in fashion. You know, you can't deny that. It's, it's in, you know, it's on the TV with, you know, Wednesday Adams and stuff. It, <laughs> and it's in a lot of films. It's in a lot of everything. And that's because it it's, you know, it's it's always works. I think that's what the thing about it. I have a couple of friends that live here who are uh, goths, and they have a what I would say was a goth store. And you know they're very happy living that life, and they're getting older like we all are. And you know they don't go home and get out of their goth uniform, you know, because that's what they live and how they live. And I think that has a, a great strength for people generally because. Uh, a lot of people do jobs or, or have occupations when they're kind of forced into this different straight jacket and maybe they're not happy about it. Some people are, but not everybody is. And they go home and then they, they you know, they only have a few hours every day to, to be them. And I think mm. what's important about goth is it lets people, encourages people to be themselves, you know. Mm. Well, Luna on Discord writes, I'm an elder millennial and found a connection to the Kieran goth music during my formative years, becoming an adult during the social and financial collapse of the aughts. The goth expression has remained relevant to me. More with Lal Tolhurst after the break. Stay with us on Meet Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. That's the Cure's prayer for rain. We're talking with Lal Tolhurst, the Cure's co-founder, former drummer, and keyboardist, about his new book, Goth, A History. And in it, he writes, Modern life has shoes looking too closely at things for any length of time, especially if they are in any way disturbing. My life in goth served as a kind of communal reverse meditation by exploring the darkness of books, films, musics, music, and paintings together. We escaped for a brief moment to better understand the place we all found ourselves in time and space. We kept floating, but now a little more liberated. You, our listeners, are also sharing how you define goth, whether you are a goth kid or consider yourself a goth elder. You're also sharing what the cure has meant to you at 866-733-6786 at KQED Forum on our social channels and at our email address, forum at kqed.org. And let's hear this voicemail from Lily, who's a Berkeley student, but called from Paris and left this. Hi, I'm Lily Sayenga, columnist and staff reporter for Arts and Entertainment at The Daily Californian. I reviewed Goth a History recently, and I'd like to thank Lull for his legendary contributions to goth music and giving the subculture the attention and contextualization it deserves. In an era where goth is a storied but quite buried subculture amongst young adults my age, I'm 21, reading a piece from the perspective of one of the original pioneers felt like a refreshing piece of commentary in the sea of internet misinformation that I see every day. I've devoted much of my own writing to the subculture as well, and Lull's retrospective made me rethink some of the ways that I perceive goth as well as how I explain it to others. My question for Lull is this. As a music-based subculture, how much farther do you think goth can continue to branch out? There are so many great modern goth bands now, but many also fall victim to repeating the classic sounds and atmospheres of The Cure and its contemporaries. Where do you see goth going next? Hmm. Thank you so much. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Um, Yeah, I I actually read read her review. Uh, It was out a week or so ago, yeah. Uh, And uh, I'm quite surprised that she's only 21 because she was a very, very mature writer. Anyway, um, that aside, I, I think, where do I see it going? Well, I see bands like uh, Boy Harsha and uh, Cold Cave, you know, like especially Boy Harsha, there's a lot of electronic stuff in there, you know, so I, I see that as a natural progression because I remember at the beginning of the 80s, um, like a lot of the sounds on those records, like from you know, 17 Seconds, Faith and Pornography, they're sounds of of you know the modern synthesizer era coming in you know and i was very excited by that and i started to use those things in in my playing and so now i see you know there's been the whole era of you know modern electronic music and they they're adapting that to put it in a darker framework and uh you know i think it's it 
music always regenerates itself and and the fact is it has a, a very strong uh basis because it's always relevant you know it's never irrelevant and it doesn't really rely on the the fashion that much it relies on the the meaning and the the philosophy mm. of it you know more than anything else and you know about the quote that you read from the book beforehand um yeah. i was thinking about that you know yeah a lot of the times you know we all go along like we're we're you know we're going to be here forever on this planet you know i did, <laughs> i did uh, i did a book event in new york a couple of weeks ago you know and I, I, I said to people oh you know hey and here's the thing anyway nobody's getting out of here alive you know and i, I there was this sort of deathly silence because i thought they thought oh my goodness what's he going to do and i was like no no i'm not going to do anything i said you know it's just it's just you know we all go along in life thinking well you know it's going to be we're here now it's going to go along and that's a good thing to do as well but what goth brings in into the consciousness is a consideration a consideration of where we are going where we are all all end you know and uh, i think by doing that it relieves some of the the sort of uh, fear and uh, terror that surrounds a lot of those things uh, you know and it makes it much more human so i think it's in that way it's very similar uh you know i say in some ways to like the way the hippies were it's a little more considered but it but it's you know it considers all things in life you know mm. let me go to caller shauna next shauna you're on hi thank you so much um lol <laughs> Yeah. I can't believe this. Um, thank <laughs> you for just all of your, um, you know, wonderful, amazing music and, and art. And um, I've been listening to The Cure since, um, I mean, I grew up on The Cure um, yeah. for, you know, over 30 years. And wow. I, you know, people always ask me, like, you know, how can you listen? You know, it's just so sad. How can you just keep listening to, to such sad music? But I've never really found it so sad. Like it's, it, the cure has always been, um, you know, like the spectrum of just all the emotions in life and, you know, the pain and the, the, the sorrow to the, the beauty and the happiness mm. all together. And, um, you know, like I, I'm, I'm 46 years old and I still go back to disintegration. Um, you know, when, uh, whenever I'm, I'm feeling, like I need um, comfort, you know, right, and just right. in that reminder that there's just so much, um, you know, beauty in, in life and in all of the, mm. the sadness. Um, yeah. Mm. And so just thank you so much. <laughs> wow. Well, thank, thank you for making my point for me. You know, that's exactly <laughs> the reason, you know, and that, that's what it does. It gives people something. It gives people a forum to experience those things. And I think you, you expressed it very eloquently. Thank you. Thank you, Shauna. With with the cure being goth, with it being sort of count, counterculture and resisting convention, how do mm. you reconcile its mainstream success? I understand that there was <laughs> some hesitation when you were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah, talk yeah, about that. yeah. Well, you know, the the thing is, it, that that goes back to to the fact that you know I've lived here. At that point, I'd lived here over a quarter of a century, so I knew. Like I'd been around the whole of the States many, many times. And, I, I, you know, I could go into any small little town and I can spot the kids who are going to be goth, even if they don't know themselves yet, you know. <laughs> so uh, it, 
it's like you know when we came to do that robert called me up and said you know i don't know about this is it, it seems a bit hokey or whatever you know and i said no no that you the, the thing is all the kids that live in small little towns that uh you know liked us and found solace in us will absolutely love the fact that we get inducted into the hall of fame and so you know he took me at my word thank you and um and we did you know and then you know that when trent Resner came out to induct us you know he started his conversation his induction speech with like you know i grew up in small town usa mercer pennsylvania looking out over cornfields and the fact that the the cure was coming through the radio through college radio you know it gave me something to to escape to to be free and that's the whole purpose of it so i i think um you know eventually you know, it's going to go, it's going to go, it's not like mainstream, mainstream, because it's not Beyonce, you know, and it's not any of those things. But there are elements in it that most people can relate to, you know, that they can, they can hold on. If their minds are open, they can relate to it. So I think that's why it, why it works still, you know. So Jason writes, I heard the album Pornography and I needed more. I got three mm. imaginary boys and 17 seconds. I loved every single song. I saw them at Berkeley Greek Theater in 1985, and it was amazing. Wow. Robert had short-cut hair, no makeup, a sleeveless <laughs> black shirt, and was on point the whole concert. When yeah. your favorite band gets you through the dark times of your life, and I had many... You grow to love the music even more. I used to wear makeup and had pierced ears at age 12 and got messed with constantly. But I always had beautiful girlfriends, some who actually told me I look like Robert Smith. <laughs> with my hair dyed back and spiked up, I can barely stand Friday I'm in love and people sing it at karaoke, plus it's always on the radio. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Amy writes, my first big concert was The Cure in Philadelphia in 1989 with a friend who loved the band. It was mesmerizing and a great introduction to live music. All those years later, my 16-year-old is a Cure fan. Thank mm. you. Yeah, you know, yeah. Well, I wasn't there for Friday. I'm in love, so right. you know, that's you my excuse that right there. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny. I meet people, like, you know, I do a lot of events and things, and I'm going to go out and meet a lot more people because I, I just released an album with Budgie, and we're going to go on the road at some point soon. So, you know, I meet a lot of people all the time, um, and it's amazing that, you know, the breadth of age difference. You know, there's people from 16 to 60, you know, and uh, so it means something and it keeps going, you know. I mean, sometimes, you know, I get people coming up and they're maybe, you know, in their early 20s or, you know, late teens and that, and they want me to sign something and they say, my dad is a really big fan of yours. You know, at least they don't say my grandfather is a big <laughs> fan of yours. You know, that's, that's all right. But, you know, the passing of time, it, it's kept me uh, feeling, you know, reasonably youthful about things, you know, and hopeful. Um it it's really been a, a pleasure to to live through all of this and and still be here. You know, mm. we're talking with Law Tolhurst, and so are you. Let me go to Sabrina next. Sabrina, you're on. Hi. Yes, I'm Sabrina, and I had um, a store in San Diego back in about 1984 to 88. It was the Catwalk, and it was goth and punk and. It was a collecting place for all of us people who felt like oddballs, and it was a place we had community. And the music, I think, of Bauhaus and The Cure and Susie, not only did it help us express our identity, but we didn't turn to drugs and self-harm and all these things we could have. 
Uh, we had wow. an outlet. We felt heard. We felt like, yes, you know, we can we can hold these deep emotions and share them and be the freaks that we are in a place like San Diego. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Central. Oh, <laughs> so thanks. Yeah. No. No. I, I I understand that immensely. You know, like my my uh, my sister-in-law lives down her way, and so I know all about San Diego and stuff. And you know, and I have friends there as well. So it's it's that's the whole point of it. It gives you a safe place to be who you are and be who you want to be, and it acknowledges that. And and that was really you know the, the benefit of it all. And that's why it still keeps going because people feel safe. You know. Yeah, Mo in Alameda, you're on next. Hey, Mo. Hi there. Thank you so much for doing this segment today. Thanks. I wanted to say thank you to Lowell for your contribution and work with the Cure. Um, thank you. One of the most influential parts of my last 30 plus years. Um, I was exposed to the gas scene rather late compared to most of my friends. Mm. Um, back in 1992, um, my brother's girlfriend at the time played the Disintegration album for me, and I fell in love with the music, uh, the typical team, the minor keys, the lyrics, the band style struck me on so many levels as something that was missing from uh, my typical um, exposure to radio music. And uh, when I got a chance to see them on tour for the Wish Tour later that year, I saw these black-clad um, heavily eyelinered beauties and all different manners of dress and these blurred lines of gender and the aesthetic sealed it for me. It just encompassed everything that I felt embody who I was and still am um, 30 plus years later. And we in the SFB area are so lucky that we have a huge uh, thriving golf scene and having a plethora of places to express and convene and, um, I love the fact that the scene is still very much alive. Um, we went to the Cruel World Fest earlier this year, mm-hmm. and I think that that really proves that it's not just a fleeting trend or a fad, like you were saying earlier. It's, it's a mindset, mm-hmm. or to me, it's more like a personality trait, like people that prefer to go on a cruise and have things you know, all available to them in one place. Right. versus those types of people who like to go on an adventure. Uh, the world comprises of all different people, and goth is just one of those types. Right. Mo, well, thanks. Yeah, that's great. And she's Thank right you. about San Francisco. There's a lot of uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. up-and-coming things. I mean, you know, I'm saying that because I'm a little biased. My son lives there and has a band, so mm-hmm. I know, you know. Well, let me remind listeners, you're listening to Forum. Mm-hmm. I'm Mina Kim. What's the name of the band? Uh, Topographies. Tell me what it means to be an elder goth. You've used that term, elder goth. <laughs> what is yeah. it? Yeah. How how does one be? How is one an elder goth? Okay. I I think I could probably best illustrate it by by uh, something a conversation I had with a good friend of mine, um, James Murphy from LCD Sound System, and he we were talking about that, and he said, you know, isn't it funny? You know, you think like you know people who like music and they like different kinds of music and that, you know, when you're traveling around, you know, and we all travel the world the whole, the whole time, you know, he said you might meet somebody on a plane somewhere and you start talking to them and you realize, you think, well, first you look at them and you think, well, they're probably a few years older than me. And you start talking to them and you realize that you're actually a few years younger. No, you're a few years older than them. And, and you know, life has sort of uh, has 
kept you uh, not not in a perpetual juvenile bubble. That's not really it. But it but it's kept you youthful because you've been doing the thing that you love to do, and you've also uh, you know been allowed to grow along with it. And that's really the thing about being you know elder goth. You know, I talked to Leah Bush, who wrote a doctorate on uh, that particular thing, and she told me a lot of very interesting things. You know, people who who had never succumbed to like thinking, well, you know, I'm 35 now, I better go back to being a, a normal person again. They just sort of kept it as part of their existence and and it it makes people feel fulfilled. They don't feel like they've they've compromised their whole personality for, you know, the the modern corporate world or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So to sum it up, if you would describe, and we've heard lots of descriptions of what it is, but what it means to be a practitioner, I guess, of goth today. What is that? What is it to be a practitioner of goth? I suppose it's always always taking, the, always looking at both sides, and usually taking the opposite view of of what the you know the the, the standard uh, thought is about most things. And that doesn't mean you know you're a contrarian, but it just means that you are open to things that maybe. You know, the rest of society thinks maybe you, you shouldn't take that view, you know? What is your relationship with The Cure, with Robert, with you've written openly about the mm. fact that you struggled with alcoholism, how much, sure. how destructive that was? I'm just curious yeah. where things are. Um, you know, they, they did a tour recently and they, they came to Los Angeles and I went off and met everybody. And, uh, you know, to me, I've known Robert since I was five years old. So that's almost, you know, it'll be 60 years shortly. And so he's the person I've known my whole life, the longest. And, you know, I went to see them play and I went down and met everybody, you know, sitting backstage and stuff. And it was really strange. It was very nice, but it was kind of like going back to the, the, the pub in 1977, you know, and, and it was like, there's all the people there that I know. And, you know, a lot of band members have got children now and they're like the age, you know, my son and stuff. So it was very, very interesting. It's like family. It's family, you know, and family, you know, everybody has a family and you cannot tell me that everybody's family is absolutely perfect. You know, every, every, <laughs> everybody has a weird family, everybody. And yes. so, so, you know, it's like, it's that, it's that, you know, it goes in waves. Sometimes things are wonderful right now. They're pretty wonderful. And sometimes things are less than wonderful, you know, yeah. um, it, that's it. And it's going to be that way until, until the day I walk off the mortal coil you know it's just uh, i understand that yeah. yep well thank you for creating a goth family and i thank our listeners for letting us hear from you today my thanks to caroline smith for producing today's segment we've been talking with lal tolhurst about goth history i'm mina kim this is forum Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. 
Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.